good day, Ben. Hello, Victoria. How are you? And are you emerging like some kind of butterfly from a chrysalis out of lockdown? Are we allowed out? Well, kind of. You can go as far as you want to take exercise, but you can't go and see anybody in your family. You <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how when they let you go as far as you want and take as much exercise, the, the joggers have disappeared. <laughs> Suddenly it's no fun. <laughs> no one out. <laughs> now you can do it. There's no fun anymore. But, you you know, around the southwest, they've taken it as lockdowns over. Yeah, well, that's a, they've done that around here. I think most people have taken it as lockdowns over. The Southwest got a double whammy because um, they never observed the rules in the first place. <laughs> so in a way, they just kind of think it's it's given. You know, they're like, oh, I haven't, oh, we haven't seen you in ages. Let's have a huge barbecue with everyone round. What's a barbecue? Barbecue. The other bit of the whammy, I love, I love my whammies. <laughs> the other bit of the whammy is that all the second home people are now coming over. Oh, hooray, for their barbecues. Oh, no, they're, they're much more well-heeled than that. What will they be having then? Sort they're like my friend's parents' <laughs> buffets. I thought buffets were sort of firmly lower middle class. I don't know. It sounds very grand. You... <laughs> you always spot a buffet when you're at one of those events. That's it, a Warren buffet. I quite like her. <laughs> very, very suave. <laughs> Warren, who was he married to? I don't know. Lady Buffet? Hi, <laughs> Ren- Renee Buffet. <laughs> right, let's get cracking. No time who to are lose. you then? I'm a former BBC journalist and hack. Um, I used to be the crime reporter and covered lots and lots of crime stories in the UK. And now I'm a podcaster and a potterer. Potterer? You're officially in old age. I love to potter around. Pottering around is one of life's great joys. Well, I'm Victoria Mitzi, and the last thing I do is pottering. The first thing I do is, at the moment, lockdown with a toddler. The other thing I used to do when life was normal was be a journalist, and I have also made a foray into social media, as some of you listening might know. We've made a... <laughs> what would you call that thing that we did in the woods? <laughs> nothing, quite like having a, nothing quite like having a firm grasp of the language. <laughs> I'm a bit tired today. It's been a night of it. So it's a promo. It's just a promo. And it's just a, a, a promo? Video. You don't, you promo. wait. I was, I was involved in the creative process of that. Where's our promo? Where can you find our promo, Ben? Oh, that's a really good question. It's a gr- I'm glad you asked me. You don't really know, don't because I'm the social media queen these days. Yeah, I know. And Actually, I put on. it on our new Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. We've got Twitter, call it? everybody. We, we're on Twitter. It's at YDMLF podcast. Oh we've kind Easy. of failed already. We, we've made it as complex as possible. Twitter suggested at Let Me Finish, which I thought kind of defeated the object of the exercise. So that's the one thing we don't do. So I went with at... Y-D-L-M-F podcast. Very good. And I'm glad you did, because you get to, got to put your favourite word in there, salty. I did. My point is, you can find our video there, and you can also find other lovely pictures for your delectable delight. Can you? Can you find other pictures? I haven't looked enough to look, look at those. Oh, that my good. God. Well, it's just as well you're our number one fan, Ben. <laughs> uh, so, yes, you've probably come to us for a little bit of murderous delight, of which... We have a plethora. A plethora, indeed. I thought you wanted to talk about us, number two fan, who's your friend who, who got in touch with us. Right, in the hope that my friends are actually coming back to listen to this, it's been suggested to us that we get a little bit more current. I mean, the 
point is with you didn't let me finish is it not ben that um your big corker trials were ones that were really sexy and massive of which we're going to go ahead aren't we with john warboys as one mm, coming up in just a moment yeah. so here you go we want to talk about a body in a suitcase because like after it. we've kicked off with our corona crime podcast our opening gambit was how to get rid of somebody and somebody's actually done it um we have to be a little bit careful because uh, proceedings are active in this case but we were talking about how during lockdown it would be a good time to murder somebody and completely unrelated nothing to do with it whatsoever there has been a, there was a case the other day where um, the police arrested a man and a woman who were acting suspiciously and found um, the remains of a, of a person in two suitcases, I think, in the Forest of Dean somewhere. Yes, the stomping ground of da, 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 Fred and Rose West. Likely to be completely unrelated to this case, of course. Well, yeah, because Rose couldn't get there and Fred Fred's dead. Could... Fred's dead. He dead. Yes, there's been an arrest, hasn't there? Yes, there has been an arrest. And, so we and do have been to charged, be So we can't talk about it. A woman's been charged and that'll... I mean, well, we can talk any... about what's happened, which is why I was bringing it up. Yeah, but what we can't do is uh, talk about um, anything to do with that actual case. And we're not. We're just talking in a jokey way about something we were discussing earlier. So if we did know anything about this case beyond just what we've read in the papers, which we don't, then we'd have to be very careful what we say. And what we really we want here at um, You Didn't Let Me Finish podcast is a fair trial so these people can be brought to justice and banged up. Absolutely, if they're guilty, of course. Well, of course. So what interested me about the headline women's body parts discovered in two suitcases? I don't know, what did interest you? Oh, people are shouting at their radios right now. I can't hear a thing, but okay, I thought you were for it. In rural woodland, and I mean, what, what do you start thinking? You just want to know what's going on, and we still want to know what's going on, so we'll watch this space. It actually, it wasn't one of the forms that we suggested, was it? We've suggested, a, a listener kindly suggested, when you're jogging, dropping bits and pieces, an ear here and a leg, well, bit of leg there. So bodies in suitcases was not the one that we recommended. There have been bodies in a suitcase over the years, haven't there? Because there was that... Um... Uh, MI5 agent who was found stuffed into a sports bag. His name was Gareth Williams and there's been lots of reports about him being murdered by Russian hitmen and all sorts of things but um, the police uh, examination of all the evidence basically came to the conclusion that somehow he zipped himself into the bag. Was there, were there kind of obviously weird circumstances were involved but mm. was that, oh he was naked and decomposing wasn't he? Um, but was yeah, there a I mean, suggestion of a sex game in that? This is, you know, being found hanging with an orange in your mouth. It's all one of those ones where um, there were lots of... I mean, first of all, it seems obvious that you can't zip yourself into a bag, but apparently he was very limber and as slim and agile and possibly could have zipped himself into the bag. Um, uh, the later, the inquest found his death was unnatural, Um and thought to be criminally mediated, but the police subsequent investigation found it was an accident. Um, I mean, there are suspects that he was killed by Russian assassins, as I said, but um, they, they kind of forensically seem to have managed to explain away that he um, zipped himself into the bag, which is just bizarre. But that's, that's another body in a bag. There was a body found in a suitcase at Heathrow Airport a few years ago as well. So bodies in suitcases are not 
totally unknown. It does happen from time to time. And what's weird is that it seems like a sort of slightly fictional way of finding a body because in all my years in news, have I ever come across a story where a body was in a suitcase other than this? I don't think so. And that's been a decade. <laughs> Although I have seen it in Crime Watch reconstructions. Oh, well, in that case, it must be true. Well, yes, I think it's a different type of crime. I think it's um, the fashion for bodies and suitcases has passed. So these people appear to be out of vogue. The Heathrow body in the suitcase was a man, Yusuf Wahid, who was body was found in as long ago as 1999, 21 years ago. And it was the body of um, uh, Fatima Kama, uh, according to a report I read about uh, the trial of the Old Bailey, because this guy, Yusuf Wahid, who's a former flight attendant, um, was traced um, and extradited from Bahrain and brought back to the UK and jailed for 24 years back in uh, 2011. So it took quite a while. It took... Um, 12 years for him to be brought to justice. Well, as a flight attendant, you would have a lot of access to a lot of cases, I suppose. That would be quite easy for you. You mean he was the kind of guy who would be able to pick out the best piece of luggage to put a body into? Yeah, well, I don't know if it would make a difference if I was found squashed into a Louis Vuitton or a... Flight attendants, why do they have access to lots of luggage? I mean, they, all they do is put them in the overhead lockers sometimes if people are too clumsy or stupid. To do they fly a lot. They have a lot of luggage for their work. Well, you, okay. And I'm sure they pilfer. Off. I'm sure they pilfer the lost property. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure I'm buying that a flight attendant has any more luggage than you or I. Really? Yeah. Well, perk, they, perk of the not, job. But they're not going on holiday. They're just going to work. I mean, they probably have a bag, one of those little pull-along trolley bags, uh, and they have in it like a spare pair of socks and I don't know. This is because you're a man. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I don't understand. Oh, come on. Have you seen some of those dollies? They need they need a case just for hair care. <laughs> and then what about all the scarves? They've got thousands of those scarves as well, haven't they? They, they do wear a lot of scarves, that's true. I mean, I think that, you know, the airline... As for, um, as for court shoes, I bet their cases are overflowing. So if the flight attendant industry is keeping the British scarf and court shoe uh, supply businesses in, in business through the lockdown, I'm sure. I've got to say, with the folding of Flybe, that the, the, um, the production of scarves and the uh, industries of scarves and court shoes have probably plummeted. I thought, why are court shoes called court shoes? I mean, are you supposed to wear them to court? That's a good question. Um, uh, you can't get caught in them because you can't run? Are they for courting in? I'm going courting. Oh, put on your court shoes then. Well, they're, they're not really... They're, they're kind of working. They're practical high heels, aren't they, court shoes? What, slightly frumpy ones, you mean? Slightly, yeah. Ones that you can kind of work in if you're, if you're, if you're trying to uh, elongate your calves at the same time because you might meet that millionaire in first class. <laughs> the kind of shoes where you sort of... You're not going to get quite, quite such massive bunions. <laughs> Could you Maybe do that's that? What, what, be a, be a, have a flight attendant? Mm. I don't think I'd be very good because I don't really care about people. <laughs> You'd be like, here's your jelly, throw it on. <laughs> if the plane crashes, you're going to die. I don't care where the emergency exits are. You're fucked. The, the oxygen mask might drop down. Don't bother putting your, yours on before anybody else's. Don't bother putting any of them on because you're fucked. I think it would be the disdain on your face that would truly delight me when the brattish child and their brain-dead parents on their way to the Costa del Sol press the cabin crew button for the 15th time. You would be the worst kind of passenger, wouldn't you? 
you'd be oh, passenger. Yeah, you'd be sitting there saying, oh, I wanted an aisle seat and I've got a window seat. Or if you're at the window, you say, oh, I'm at the window, I want an aisle seat. Oh, forget that. There's much more important stuff to complain about these days. (laughs) Can you get me this? Can you get me that? I'm sorry, they only ever have one decent sandwich left and often someone gets it just before you. They've got nothing to do. They do the same thing and they're virtually rolling their eyes when they're pointing at the fire exits when they're doing the safety thing they That's can't be bothered they, they don't put any to energy die. into their performance they get paid for that performance are you saying they're not very good hoofers what's hoofer a hoofer you know like a performer a showgirl the show oh. must go on bodies and suitcases are really okay. fun and sexy and have a look at the case on our twitter if you want to know more about it uh oh. you didn't let me finish twitter what's it called <laughs> <laughs> That was a brilliant trailer. So great. So professional and slick. <laughs> <laughs> it's YDLMF podcast. That was really slick. That was catchy. Okay, look, just take the initials of you didn't let me finish. It's at YDLMF podcast, okay? This is it's painful. not that difficult. If you, sw- if difficult. you haven't switched off yet, now's your chance, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've already switched off. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't switch off. Okay, I'm certainly we not going, turned on. We were going to get <laughs> you the opposite of turned on. It's switched off, absolutely. So back to our subject for today. Go on. The body in the suitcase was just a warm-up. <laughs> it was the mozzarella bites at your first McDonald's after lockdown. John Warboys. Yes, John Warboys. Um, so John well, Warboys was that's a not his real name. Well, it kind of is his real name, but I think he's changed it now to John Radford for some reason that I don't understand. Did he convert to Islam? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Maybe I'm pretty sure to. that he did I can feel it. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's a particularly pious individual. It has happened to a big criminal, and I'm getting them crossed over. I don't know if Charles Bronson may have done something like that. Very common. Oh, he did. You're right. Very common when you're in prison. There's lots of things that are common in prison that you might not do outside. It's a whole different lifestyle. That, that, can, that can involve certain conversions. And not <laughs> okay. a rugby conversion. Kicking Possibly a gender conversion. Has that not happened? And that's ah. got all sorts of implications. I'm sure it has done, but I'm sure it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't be told about because it's uh, medical confidentiality and all that. Oh, I don't know, because some, some of that's kind of been pushed into the news because of the way that people want to be a man who converted to female transition. Oh, then, and then wanted to go to a women's jail. That's right, yeah. yeah. But apropos of gender conversion, one interesting thing told to me by a former colleague who was in the army and who was involved in, you know, with, working with special forces from time to time was that apparently the unit in the army that has the highest level of those who leave it then changing gender. Guess what it is? Don't know. It's the SAS. Oh, really? Apparently, yes. Oh, maybe they, maybe they joined it because they thought it was sassy. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got mixed up on the forms. And now they're cabin crew. They thought they were going to join RuPaul's sass race. <laughs> they probably are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. How do you know that? Major General Dick Emery. Um... A pal of mine who's, um, used to, who used to be in the army and has left now told me. I, I mean, it's apocryphal. I don't know how true it is, but it could be an interesting FOI request. Mm, off you go. My request is to you to share your incredibly great detailed knowledge about the crimes of John Warboys. Now, so the police were being approached by young women who were saying from about 2000 
they got into a taxi. The taxi driver had told them, oh, I've just come into some money. I've won the lottery. I've had a big gambling win, whatever. Will you celebrate with me? And a lot of them were a bit suspicious about this. Well, this is a bit odd. But he, he was very persuasive, quite insistent. And so they'd have a small glass of champagne that he would produce. He'd show them a big bag of money in cash. Just a small glass. Well, often just a small glass, but of course what they didn't know was that he'd usually drugged it, so they were sedated very quickly, and then they would wake up hours later at home, they would know something had happened, and they would have possibly flashbacks and so on and so forth, but they might not know exactly what had happened, and this made it quite difficult to investigate, so, um, but then again, the police also made a real hash of this one, there were lots of, they were hearing lots of similar accounts in a very relatively small area of south-east London, and they just weren't piecing them together. And it was in the end when, um, uh, in, in 2008, I think, finally, um, detectives put together some of these, went public, and some somebody at, a, I think, um, a rape crisis centre or somebody who remembered one of the previous instances where a, a young woman had remembered it was a black taxi driver, contacted the police, and they were, they were able to address John Warboys quite quickly. I mean, he was a a weird character. He had been, he had worked as a stripper um, in court. His, um, his, he, we talked about sort of comedy defences before. You know, we talked about how Mark Dixie gave, his defence was that he was, he didn't murder the young woman. He just came across her already dead body and decided to have sex with it. Um, well, John Warboys' defence was that he was an absolute useless socially inadequate loser it was the loser defense i remember i was with actually um, my former colleague jeremy Britton, who people won't necessarily have heard about but he's um, a brilliant brilliant producer he's the bbc's sort of court producer so he knows the old bailey inside out he is the old bailey he is you know jeremy he is the old bailey he's an absolute you know legend and so he and i were just chuckling listening to this his defense lawyer was um uh, Jeremy Gold QC, who said, his, this is he's talking about his own client here. He said he's an oddball, a weird customer, a socially inadequate individual. This was his attempt to convince the jury not to convict. He said, the temptation is to say just because he's weird, he must have done it. But he, he, he said that he said, don't fall into that trap. But of course, they, I mean, Warboys was, I think, charged with, I think, 23 counts involving 12 different victims. He was eventually convicted of nine sex assaults, rapes, various um, charges there uh, involving 12 women in a period from 2006, 2008. Now, at that time, he was then sent to prison, obviously. Um, subsequently, I think up to 102 victims came forward and said they thought they may have been attacked by him. Well, well but... considering the fact that sexual assault figures are notoriously underreported, that oh, must be a higher. huge amount. Yeah, absolutely. It could be way higher than that. Um, and the, the thing is, though, what caused a lot of outrage as well was that that you know he was sent to prison, and that was that. And then suddenly uh, it emerged, I think, a couple of years ago, two thousand and eighteen, that um, the parole board was considering him for uh, release um, because he had served a period of his sentence, and I think it was felt that um, he no longer served a risk to the public, and he had. He had, he, he had convinced him, uh, them that he was no longer a risk. He had said various things. He had one, one thing you have to do as a criminal is, once you're convicted, is to acknowledge what you've done. You can't keep maintaining your innocence, as otherwise they won't release you, because they'll say that you, you haven't accepted your criminality, and therefore, and that's the first step in moving on a bit like... Oh, is that taken a know, standard? A bit like an alcoholic having to admit they've got a problem, yeah. Is it? So, he, so you can't be released yeah. unless you admit it? Well, I... 
not if you're on an indefinite life sentence. No, you can if you're. I mean, if you're fixed term, you're fixed term. That's it. But if you're on a life sentence, then to be considered for early release, you have to acknowledge your criminality. So it, it, it emerged that they were thinking of releasing him in 2018, and so a further. Um, women came forward and further victims came forward and there was another prosecution and he was convicted and he at that point admitted four further counts these were of um, administering drugs with you know with a um, purpose of um, c c carrying out sexual assault and i think the anger there was that he had clearly lied to the parole board because he just admitted the the ones he was convicted of, and then be quite clear that he hadn't done anything else. And of course, he then immediately confessed. Oh, I see. So he was so sorry for all his crimes, but he just didn't confess to them. Yeah, he, he was so sorry. Oh, he was so sorry for the crimes he'd been caught. He wasn't sorry for anything else, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that led to him being sentenced again to a further period in prison, and in fact, at that time, in 2018. So this is. Uh, nine years from the original trial, um, that the, the sentencing judge, Mrs. Justice McGowan, said she didn't know when, if ever, he would cease to be a risk to women. So he is still in jail. He's saying, despite the fact that they were about to let him out. Exactly. Yes. I mean, but that's. I think that's what caused the anger is that there was. He clearly found it too easy to hoodwink these professionals who are supposed to be able to dispassionately assess with a degree of skill whether somebody still poses a risk or not. At least the other women came forward, so well done to them. Hats off was, to them. Indeed, hats off to them. We interviewed some of his victims. Obviously, anybody who's victim of sex assault is entitled to anonymity unless they waive their anonymity. Mm. And they include some quite prominent public figures. And I mean, if you, if you Google, um, some of those who did waive their anonymity at the time can still be found. But obviously, you know, you, uh, my view is that having... You, know, you might wear your anonymity at the time somebody is convicted in order to um, get across the enormity of what they did, to tell your side of the story, because it can be a catharsis. You, know, you might just want to do it to encourage others to come forward. Ooh, just found a headline saying that um, taxi rapist John Warboy has boasted about using date rape drugs. Yeah. That was I mean, years before he was brought to justice. But this is, yes, and this is... The thing is, he was a male stripper. He clearly had a hugely inflated sense of um, how attractive he was, shall we say. And I think, I mean, my recollection from the trial was quite clearly that he seemed to feel that, again, he was kind of entitled to this. He was, because he was so lovely and beautiful, he was entitled to this sort of thing. Oh, did, actually, did that come across in the trial? This, com this comes back to, this is my view, this is my opinion, but this is, you know, from the, the notes I made, but this is... This comes back to the Delroy Grant, that's the Night Stalker thing where we were talking about uh, last time, or time mm. before, where Delroy thought he was doing the old ladies he raped a huge favour. And I think Warboys honestly thought that um, his victims were almost, you know, lucky to have had an encounter with him. However, perverse an... and deluded that sounds. Yes, but I just think if you water that down tremendously... It's a kind of patriarchy type of argument, I think, because the sex industry can be, obviously, it's a service industry, so it has to be geared. And, and every, he was involved in that, wasn't he? He was involved in po making porno movies and stuff. 
they, they've got to build this kind of bubble where, you know, it's a massively male-dominated industry, that, that that's a kind of service that, that predominantly men are buying. So I guess you get swept away in this bubble. If he is a bit weird, uh, I mean, that's my, this is my sociological no, uh, assessment. Yeah, no, no, yeah I mean, OK, so, I mean, anybody who watches porn knows that that's not exactly what happens. It just, you don't normally walk into an office and then suddenly the secretary, you know, decides to have sex. That's not really real life. But I think what we're talking about here is not somebody who maybe had watched too much porn, but somebody who, having been a male stripper and having, you know, clearly felt that he was somehow super hot stuff and almost couldn't believe that there would be somebody who wouldn't want to have sex with him. That's kind of the, a slightly nuanced difference. But, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that there's a massive gulf. Did this guy not look in the mirror? He knew full well that what he was doing was wrong, but I suspect he thought he wouldn't get caught because he thought that his victims on, on reflection might not be too, you know, upset about what had happened to him. This is manifestly wrong. He is delusional. There's no Well, maybe he was that. banking on the fact that most women don't want to, you know, the fact that, that victims of sexual assault are anonymous, the system has to protect them, and they don't want to put themselves in the firing line even to report the crime in the first place. So he was banking on that, maybe. I think that's a part of it, certainly. I mean, he, you know, he, was, um, he was questioned about, you know, in 2007, uh, a young student um, went to the police and he was questioned, but he showed the police CCTV from the camera that showed her getting out of his cab and apparently giving him a kiss. And he just said, oh, she was drunk and it was consensual. And unfortunately for her, because clearly she was very woozy because she had been drugged, it was impossible to um, prove that he was wrong in that. In fact, even at the time of the original trial, my recollection is that there were over 80 cases that the police were aware of, but the CPS at that time only felt comfortable or only felt they had enough strong evidence to bring uh, 19 cases to court, 12 victims to court. So it, it was clear that, I mean, it's a very, you know, rape is a very difficult crime to investigate. It's an incredibly difficult crime for the victims to come forward with. I mean, I think that's, that's reasonably well documented. I mean, there is a sort of a, 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 a slightly amusing and bizarre appendix to this story, which is that, you know, the police made a hash of it. It was only when they went back into the 2007 case, they put two and two together and got four, and they found his, uh, they traced his black cab, traced him, arrested him at his home, I think, in Rotherhive in south-east London, and got him um, into the, the legal system. Um, and he, you know, he, he should have been caught before then. And I think five officers were disciplined over various failures uh, and only one of them the um, chief superintendent who was at Greenwich at that time was sort of moved on and eventually left the police and I I did actually google him and he now would you believe works as a black cabbie so <laughs> that's bizarre <laughs> um, having sat on the juries of two rape trials to date um, and also having covered them it's often an isolated situation because the criminal is getting the woman often into a situation where they are isolated. So it's one person's word against the other. And if they bring, if they can prove also, I mean, John Warboy's barrister said that he was, you know, a bit of a weirdo. If they prove that the woman's a bit of a weirdo and shed any doubt on her character or her honesty, if they prove that she's a liar in any other way, you know, those kind of things really sway a jury. Absolutely, they do. I mean, and the, the tragedy is as well, there are false allegations of rape made. So unfortunately, you can't just have a blanket, oh, 
a woman said she was raped, the man must be guilty because, you know, it's not always the case. It would be wonderful if we could find a way to bring more rapists to justice and make the whole experience easier for victims, although it's horrendous, of course. So I know lots of people in legal circles who would dearly love to find a way to make the prosecution of sexual offence cases more effective and less traumatic for the victims. I think there were lots of moves made a few years ago, but the cuts, the police cuts, I'm sure that contributed to it. But the figures overall have now started to decline again of, of people, of women reporting sexual assaults. I mean, one thing that we probably would point out is that it's also, I mean, police are starting to say now about as we come out of lockdown, they're expecting a huge surge in crime. There are various reasons for this, but one of them is that there are they are expecting to hear now people are emerging from their houses of domestic crimes that I'm sure could include rape that were carried out behind closed doors during the lockdown. That's right. I mean, we, we've spoken about this because of the Fred West, Rosemary West cases that we've been speaking about, about domestic abuse. And indeed, in my vicinity, <laughs> that sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? But in my, lo- my locality, more like, um, there has been a domestic case going on near me, which actually I've got to report. I mean, you know, I don't just want to be the harbinger of doom here, but um, it's been fairly quiet because the last day I updated you on was um, in the last episode when the police had been there that night of the VE Day excitement. Have we spoken since then? Yeah. Mm. And then since then, it's been quite quiet. But you know why? Great solution to the problem. They've gone out. (laughs) They've just, (laughs) they've gone on holiday. I thought it might have been because it was raining, because usually rain is the policeman's friend and that gets all the 'er ne'er-do-wells and toughs back indoors. Oh, my Um, goodness. Well, we could have just had a good bout of rain and lockdown. Absolutely. Everything would have been calm. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Anyway, that just wraps wraps it up for John Warboys, but I think we've got a couple of... No, I've got something to ask you. Okay. I've got something to ask you about the, the cash in the bag, because I like to really get into the crime and, and sort of pick it apart. Yes. When a black taxi driver shows you a plastic bag full of cash yep. and asks you to celebrate with him, OK, perhaps if you're drunk, you don't spot that that's a little bit of a glaring warning sign. Is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, and when the police arrested him, they found in his his Fiat Punta, they found his plastic bag of cash. They found notes he had made, and in fact, he'd kept addresses of some of the victims as well. And they found his little miniature bottles of champagne that he was supposedly using to 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 toast these victims or get get the victims to toast his success in and he told them various things I mean one victim he said he won the lottery another one he told them he'd won £30,000 gambling and he was you know it was always I'm just coming to the end of my shift I want to start celebrating how about having a quick glass of bubbly with me I mean one one victim actually pretended to drop the glass so that she would spill the drink and wouldn't have to drink it at which point he then but at which point he then gave her another um, uh, drink of champagne in a plastic cup so (laughs) Did she try and smash that over her own head? (laughs) Back at the end with a plastic cup. I know a song about that. Oh, and just on a hygiene level, I wouldn't accept that. Even if you were gagging for a glass of mini champagne in the back of this extremely good-looking man's cab. (laughs) Anyway, I just saw a warning light there. Um, The other thing is, how did the police fail to link the reports to him? Wasn't there something that went quite wrong? I think it was just incompetence. I mean, there were five, I said five officers were disciplined. The, the chief at the sort of main, you know, 
section um, at the time lost his job. So there were, it was clearly seen that the police had muffed it. Good choice of word there. Well, indeed. Charming put. <laughs> Yes, and as you said, that that should probably, that's tied up all my queries. Thank you, Andy. Now then, we've got some quite interesting listener interaction, including one from uh, Neil, who's, who said he listened to our, one of our episodes before while lining up outside my local Waitrose. So it seems to be very grand where he lives. He said <laughs> he wanted to talk Gosh, about his life that, that we might find bizarre. He says while he was an undergraduate, he signed up to a project doing science experiments at a prison in Peterhead, I think is in the northeast of England, where sex offenders are kept. And it was his job to go up every week or two and help them maintain and build a fish lab. Did this for a couple of years, and he was working with a guy, and he said all I knew was that he was called Dominic Devine, and this meant nothing to him, and it being pre-internet, it wasn't particularly easy for him to find out. And he said he would talk about his childhood and about his father quite a lot. And he said, I thought this guy was a bit pathetic. He seemed like somebody who had had, you know, not, not a particularly good life. And he said his father would always make fun of him for being very small and thin. And this guy, Dominic, absorbed this to mean that he was never going to attract women. And this is, this morphed into the idea that he had to force himself on them. And then he did find out about this guy. And it turned out that Dominic Devine was somebody who raped five women in a period between 1978 or the late 70s and the mid 80s um two of the victims were pregnant and he did all this in an area sort of on the south side of glasgow and he became known as the beast of ibrox so clearly quite a serious criminal but um anyway neil just said he thought it was interesting because it's not always as clear-cut and often there are reasons why people behave the way they do and what i i find the whole thing fascinating but the main thing for me was that the podcast sort of triggered these memories about something which had sort of maybe lain dormant in, in Neil's mind for many years. And now they sort of come back. That's that's what crime is. It's a reflection of society. It's um, It happens on some level to all of us. And if you believe what you read in the papers, we're going to have to get ready, get ready for a lot more of it because I know the police are concerned that as we come out of lockdown, um, there's going to be there's going to be a, a surge of crime for various reasons. One is that people have lost their jobs, so you're going to have an increase in acquisitive theft crime of people basically, you know, welcome back to our house burgling community as people need to put bread on the table and haven't got jobs. There'll be jobless young men just wandering around with nothing to do, and that's always a dangerous mix, especially if it's a hot summer's day, because young jobless men, for whatever reason, seem brilliantly able to get themselves into trouble with the police. There could be, I mean, you know, once pubs open, there could be suddenly people going out and binging because they haven't been able to go out drinking for three or four months, and that might lead to sort of a surge of sort of alcohol-related crime. Um, and the last thing, apparently, is that, you know, while in lockdown, various drugs gangs have not been able to keep up their turf. So the, the police are expecting sort of turf wars when these drug gangs emerge from hiding and maybe try and stake a bit of a new claim on some other gang's territory. I'm not sure that drug dealers would be the most respectful of when the government says you should ease restrictions. So some of them might get in before the other ones do, who are still enjoying long lions and gardening absolutely i mean this is it so you know clearly if you're a drug dealer you need to you know get, get your game on well i think they're still keeping things hot and they're they're flexing their muscles during the lockdown Although um, it's certainly going on here 
I did chuckle when I read an article um, the other day that said that um, uh, the police in Croydon and South East London, I think in Beckenham, had, arrested, had raided a couple of properties and they seized a bright green um, Lamborghini sports car from a county lines drug gang. And I'm wondering whether that was because um, unable to, to use their sort of young teenage mules to carry the drugs around, they'd had to start driving it around themselves in their very visible and ostentatious sports cars and draw attention to themselves. <laughs> there was one of those in West London that just used to drive up and down. Like, they never go anywhere. <laughs> They've obviously, they borrowed it off someone, they just drive up and down. I used to call it the bogey because it was a bright green Lamborghini. <laughs> I wanted to say that drug dealing, certainly there have been a couple of prosecutions, um, drug prosecutions in Devonshire, and that seems to be going on. Heroin! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Has your dealer just turned up? Yeah, it's gone. My scag scag went down the wrong way, sorry. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, the heroin dealers are in full effect, so they're, they're really keeping their business live uh, and hopefully that will just plateau and not escalate when lockdown finishes i suppose they haven't been able to get furlough have they oh that's right well yeah we, we've been documenting their transitions all along haven't we hang on are we back on gender again <laughs> they're all running around in high heels now <laughs> or, well or, or, or court shoes if they have to run from the police <laughs> oh, that's right very sensible court <laughs> Moving on to other crime in Devon, a former Arsenal and England footballer is currently fighting for his life in the Royal Devon and Exeter Hospital after suffering a head injury, allegedly following a drunken argument. Kenny Sansom, who's oh 61. God. Do you know him? I've heard of him, yeah. He was, he's played for England. England. He was a, yeah, yeah, it just said that. You weren't listening. No, he's a massive player. He's played for some massive Newcastle, QPR, Coventry, Everton, Brentford and Watford before retiring. He suffered mental health problems. So I'm he's, not entirely sure I'd put Brentford and Watford in the same group as Arsenal and England. But still, he's a pretty decent... Uh, oh, yeah. He oh, yeah, Crystal it. Palace as well, apparently, in the mid-70s. God. Unfortunately, he's suffered mental health health problems as well linked to alcohol um, and retired from football in the mid-90s and yeah he was found and now he's in hospital but he yeah he, he went on to rough sleep very sad story I actually I've got, got to say working in news in this county and, and being based in Plymouth there seem to be quite a lot of these types of sort of pub brawly incidents there's also quite a lot of violence like violent and domestic incidents just I speak from personal experience here um, and as I told you the, the police are uh, trying to find witnesses to crimes that we've seen in this neighbourhood as well. There are certain types of places I've noticed when I've worked in news in different places, that seems to be something which is quite common here. You know, alcohol-related violence, whether it's domestic or otherwise, seems to be quite a prevalent crime. Um, But we were going to talk about footballers, weren't we, quickly? Well, my only... uh, Well, I mean, I'm afraid my story isn't quite as... uh... As interesting as that, I just I saw on Twitter the other day a friend of mine pointed out to me that um, some some Guna fan or something had put some Guna like, fan. Guna Do you mean fan. a Guna? Yeah. No, I think his Twitter handle was at Guna fan or something like that. All oh, right, okay. And um, and had um, said just let's just to sort of like pass the time during lockdown. Let's have a you know tell us about your most mundane time you met an Arsenal player, um, and his first reply was somebody saying, "I'll set the ball rolling." Ray Parler fingered my mate's mum after a night out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I hope that wasn't recent. 
What, the fingering or the tweeting? Because <laughs> I can imagine that Ray Parler's mate's mum is quite elderly now. We're not we're not straying into Delroy Grant territory. <laughs> the shite stalker? No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, the care the care stalker. Mm. I don't know how old this guy's mate's mum was. I don't know there's no sky. I suppose that leads me nicely to my own famous footballer meetings. Go on. Do I I really care? Go on. God, thank you so much. I give you so many goals on this podcast, and I just let you drone on for ages before I can get. (laughs) And I have to backdate my questions because sentence one, sentence sixteen. Tell me about your day three. Lucky for you, dear listener, that uh, I'm editing this, I can tell you. My my famous fool, you've poo-pooed it now, but I have met Thierry Henry. Oh, okay. He's pretty cool. He was, I mean, he was um, so cool that he didn't want to talk to me. (laughs) Laura and Sacre Bleu. (laughs) Oh, papa. Why didn't he want to talk to you? You're supposed to say Nicole. (laughs) Nicole. (laughs) Oh, Um, why didn't he want to talk to me? Because I was a really overexcited girl. Oh, it was in the days of the Kangol hat. Maybe it was oh, the Kangol hat. Not your drug dealer hat. Your drug dealer hat. <laughs> Maybe it was the hat. You've, you've mentioned that that drug dealer hat in literally every single podcast we've done. Nobody cares. Oh really? I think it's quite funny. I'm trying to send myself up. <laughs> I know it is funny actually. Because <laughs> you know, I I just think I have to be self-effacing because otherwise people will think I'm a bit too brilliant. I'm sure Terry Henry still speaks very highly of you. I'll tell you how long ago that was. He'd just been signed by Arsenal. And so I ran up to him. I know people didn't know who he was, I think, or maybe no one else was running up to him. Because uh, it was a fan. I, yeah, I was at the time. I was going out with a massive Arsenal supporter. He was obsessed with Arsenal. And actually, um, yeah, I, I suppose I'm a fair weather Arsenal fan. Um, don't switch off. If you're listening to this, and well, yeah, actually, do switch off if you're a Spurs fan, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, and, and so I flung myself around his neck, and I've actually got the photo somewhere of me, uh, about a quarter of the body weight that I am now, hanging around his neck, really overexcited to see him. And he couldn't speak very good English at the time, or perhaps he was pretending he couldn't speak English. He was like, you're so great. And I was a bit sweaty and hot and sweaty. I'd organised a hen night that evening, and it was in a nightclub. I don't know if you're if you're one of a, a former mover and shaker in London. It was in a nightclub called China White, which the likes of Jordan and stuff used to fall out of um, in the early hours. So I think it was quite a good sighting for there, actually. Mm, okay. Right, it's been fun, and been really if anybody fun. wants to meet, reach out to us. You can meet messages on I don't know Twitter or uh, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, it's us on Twitter. YDLM. You didn't let me finish. YDLM podcast. F. No, no, YDLM F. Don't forget the F and finish. Oh, sorry. Did I forget the F? You forgot the F. Oh, how? I never forget an F. <laughs> At oh. YD... What did you say? Y-D-L-M-F podcast. No, it's at, at Y-D-L-M-F. Don't forget the at. Oh, yeah, with Twitter it's at. And then the, um, the email address is you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, thanks to all those who have, thanks to all those who have, who have emailed in so far. Sorry if we haven't mentioned your case particularly. We'll try and get around to it, obviously, but we can't do everything. But you got there first, but I was actually going to thank people for listening. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah, I'm nice. Are you thanking me for listening to you? Uh, well, you'd actually have to do it for me to do that. 
what are you saying? Not only do I not let you finish, I don't even listen to you in the first place. I don't think I'm in a minority here when I, um, in witnessing the lack of listening that's been going on today. It's not just my toddler, it's you two. <laughs> okay, bye. bye.